This, 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 this is mythical. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists. Dude, I'm going to 21 Savage with my nephew, Keon, and we are so hyped to see him. You have no idea. Uh, while you're doing that, Nicole, I'm going to be storming through the party like my name is El Nino because I'm going to be seeing some 41 <laughs> Skate Punk is back, and it's not pop punk. It is skate punk, but also they have so many more artists to choose from. You got Alanis Morissette, Cage the El. Elephant Nicole, you're not ready for this one. <gasps> Who is it? The Kids Bob Kids, baby. No way. <laughs> Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. That's right. Visit LiveNation.com slash concertweek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash concertweek to buy now. Did you know that Australians don't even eat shrimp on the Barbie because they're actually called prawns? Crikey. I wonder what else we're gonna learn today. This is a hot dog as a sandwich. Curtis, I'm sorry for the crocky. Ketchup is a smoothie. Yeah, I put ice in my cereal, so what? That makes no sense. A hot dog is a sandwich. A hot dog is a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> what? Hey, welcome to our podcast, A Hot Dog is a Sandwich, the show where we break down the world's biggest food debates. I'm your host, Josh Ayer. And I'm your host, Nicole Hendizade. And today we're joined by Chef Curtis Stone. Curtis is currently a judge on Fox's new food game show, Crime Scene Kitchen, premiering, well, tonight, May 26th, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, I suppose. He's also an internationally renowned chef, TV host, entrepreneur, New York Times bestselling author, and chef owner of Maud and Gwen, both in Los Angeles. He grew up in Australia and discovered a love for cooking while making fudge with his grandmother at a young age. (laughs) He once hosted what I consider, personally, the greatest cooking show of all time, Surfing the Menu. Curtis, welcome to the pod. (laughs) Thanks so much. How you guys doing? (laughs) Not too bad, man. I guess surfing the menu, uh, it came out in 2003, I believe. That's right. Yeah. That to me is such an iconic show. Nicole, have you seen surfing the menu? I have not, but I'd love to hear about it. Tell me a little bit about it. I mean, Curtis, please tell us. I was working in a basement kitchen in London at the time and I was riding my scooter, um, a little moped, um, home and I got a phone call from a producer in Australia and I stuffed my phone in my helmet while I was riding in a freezing cold night and I was a little fed up with working in these, you know, hard-ass restaurants. And I got asked whether I'd like to host a TV show where I would cook and surf and uh, travel around my native Australia um, and sort of rediscover what Australian food was all about. And it took me all of two seconds to make my decision. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, uh, yeah. And she said, can you surf? Which I couldn't really, but I was like, of course I can. All Aussies can surf because I really wanted to go back to Australia. <laughs> and be paid to do nice. it. Um, and, uh, and that was the show. It was literally me and another guy, Ben O'Donoghue, who's a great mate of mine now, and we would travel and surf and cook our way around the country. That sounds fabulous. I, I, I read a quote. It's funny you mentioned copying to, to not really being able to surf because I remember reading a quote from Ben O'Donoghue who said, let me see if I can paraphrase this correctly, uh, Curtis makes me look really bad on land, but he makes me look really good in water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. Both parts I make Ben look really bad on land because he's hopeless at most other sports apart from surfing, which he's amazing at. So, um, yeah, no, we had a lot of fun. That's awesome, man. So, I mean, we, we wanted to, to bring you on here to, like you said, you did. In, in surfing the menu, sort of rediscovering what Australian food is all about. Mm. Uh, Nicole and I, I think, are super curious about mm-hmm. what Australian food is all about, especially because there are so many new like Australian restaurants opening up in so many. Los Angeles, especially. Yeah. And from what I can see, um, they're mostly breakfast burritos with kale in them. <laughs> Seems to be the Lost tone. Coffee shop-esque <laughs> meals, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I have an entire list of Aussie food slang, but I kind of wanted to go through with you because uh, another thing that happened to me, my older brother, who I grew up with, he is huge into food and wine as well. Uh, he moved down to Adelaide for three years and then mm-hmm. he came back and he started talking all crazy. <laughs> he, started, he came back and he was like, I went down, I got some stubbies from the bottle and I was like, John, that's not English. Did you have a stroke in Australia? He's like, no, no, no. You got to get some dim sim from the servo. And I'm like, well, I don't understand. <laughs> you don't have to clarify. Uh, so I'm just sort of running through some Aussie food slang. Okay, let's do it. What is a sanger? A sanger is a sandwich. Is it an R at the end or an A? Um, is it singer or singer, or is there any difference in Australia? You know what? Well, I don't even think we ever write it down. It's just the spoken word. S A N G A would be my best guess. Nice. Okay, so our sandwiches, like uh, we, we mentioned, you know, kind of coffee shop culture seems to be like the big thing that we have seen translated in LA. Mm-hmm. Is a singer something you get from a coffee shop? And does a coffee shop have a slang term like a coffee o? <laughs> um, well, yeah. First of all, we just give everything a different name. I'm not exactly sure where it came from or why it exists, but um, Aussies do give everybody a nickname and everything a, a, a sort of a, an abbreviation or we add an O or an E. You know, if your name's John, you're either a Johnny or a Jono. You'd never John, you know, like that would wow. just be way too formal. I'm not sure why. It might have something to do with our convict heritage that we like to break the rules and do something <laughs> slightly different. But yeah, we, we do change the words of everything. So a cafe is a coffee shop, which could even be called a milk bar, which is my favorite endearing term. And and a milk bar was sort of more a corner shop, but these days you can go to the milk bar and get a coffee and maybe a sandwich. So, you know, it's, or a Sanger or a Sambo, um, you know, but- (laughs) Sambo? A Sambo is another shorthand term for a sandwich. Yes, yes. One wasn't enough. One Sanger wasn't enough. You had to switch it up. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Does uh, this mean that we'll get nicknames at the end of this? I'd like that. Curtis, at the end of this, you have to give Nicole and I a nickname. It would mean a lot. Well, <laughs> don't think about it. Just marinate on oh, it. Oh, no, I don't need to think about it. Nicole, you're, you're straightaway knickers, which is sort of a funny, endearing <laughs> I love term. That. I love that. <laughs> do, do you have a nickname like to your, to your Australian friends? Well, my last name's Stone, so my nickname's Stony. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. You yeah. look like a Stony. That's not to pass judgment on your lifestyle choices, of course. <laughs> I mean, it's... it's <laughs> Okay, okay. Back to more abbreviations. Mm. Um, so there seem to be several forms of pounded out and fried meats that go by many <laughs> names. The first one I've heard is schnitty. Yep. So schnitty is short for schnitzel? Correct. Where do you eat schnitties and why? You can also ha- have a schnitz. <laughs> schnitz is, uh, is another short term. Are they different? If you order a schnitty and a schnitz, are they different? Um, no, same thing. <laughs> yes, <Okay>. same thing. <laughs> okay. Can you tell me the differences between Parmi, Parmo, and Parma? Well, they're all Parma. They're, they're all um, <laughs> they're all schnitzels, but then you put tomato sauce and mozzarella cheese over the top. So that's a Parma, um, and it's a staple in a in in the Aussie pub. Okay, so a Parma, a Parmi, and a Parmo are all schnitties, which are also schnitzes. Correct. In theory, I've heard I've heard legend <laughs> of ham of. <laughs> I feel like an anthropology professor who, like, you know, I don't know, was in a coma for 15 years. Can you explain what is Korean pop music? (laughs) I've heard legend of ham being added in at least one regional derivation of Parmi, Parmo, and Parma. Correct. But they're all got the same name, which is the funny part. Because, yes, you you can put ham underneath the tomato sauce and the mozzarella 
of the schnitzel to create the parma, which I guess is some sort of version of a, um, you know, how you would have eggplant parmesan in America, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So we do a chicken parmesan, I guess is like what parma is short for. But now that I stop and think about it, I think if you wrote chicken parmesan on a menu, no one would order it because no one would know what it is because we just <laughs> call it a parma. That's incredible. I mean- Italian food is is really big in Australia, right? And there's like a huge wave of Italian immigration, which I mean, for at least what we've heard here is why yeah. espresso culture, cafe culture is really big. So is there a lot of Italian food that's sort of, you know, big history in Australia? Yeah, there's tons. You know, the Italians and the Greeks were probably the, the two major European countries from Western Europe, at least, that sort of migrated to Australia probably back in the 40s and 50s. And um, there's still – it's funny because I have – uh, one of my best mates, Tommy, we, we grew up together and his parents from, were from Calabria. And then when we went back to Calabria, Tommy and I went traveling when we were 19 years old, three or 20 years old, and we went to, to Calabria. And it's funny, he was like, the Calabrians in Australia are more Italian than the Calabrians in Calabria. Because <laughs> it's almost like there's this moment in time that's frozen, right? Because this Italian culture came to Australia and then they preserved it in the way that they knew. And of course, back in Italy, things continue to evolve and move on. Mm. But it, there, there is a funny part of that first generation immigrant that came to Australia that really holds very true to the the original culture that they you know know and love from back in Italy. And um, yeah, so so it's very rich, the, the Italian community in Australia. And it's very authentic. It does feel, um, you know, having traveled a lot through Italy, uh, it does feel very much like you're back in Italy in some ways. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Because I mean, you, you almost see that sort of purism in, uh, you know, a lot of Italian Americans from New York City, right? Yeah. Especially compared to mm-hmm. LA, because their community has like deep, deep roots there. Correct. Even though most of them are, are generally from like Sicily, right? So it's a very, very specific type of Italian food culture. But you get like a ton of purists, even about New York style pizza, of you course. know, even about red sauce Italian. Do you have that like element of purism in Australia? Because like you said, you got that convict culture. You want to break the rules. But is there a lot of like purism in the food? No, there really is. There's still a lot of authenticity in the way people pr- prepare stuff. And I think similarly to New York, a lot of the immigration to Australia was from the south, you know, probably mm. um, not not. Um, uh, only from the South, but m- mainly. So, yeah, there's a lot of that sort of Calabrian, Sicilian that, you know, traditionally, I guess back then, some of those poorer neighborhoods were the ones that were like looking for a new start in life and looking to go to somewhere somewhere else. And, um, and that sort of, um, you know, and it, it usually goes that that's where excuse me to all the people from the north of Italy, but a lot of people would say the south of Italy is really the heart of Italian food. You know, that sort Mm. of, it comes with that peasant style kitchen where, um, you know, food sort of develops its deep roots. And uh, and yeah, we, we certainly have a lot of it back in Oz. That makes sense. Hey, uh, sorry, Red and Link here. Uh, We just had to interrupt Josh and Nicole just for a minute. Because we're so excited about a new scripted podcast we're starring in called Ronstadt. My name is... Hey, Ronstadt. 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 I'm the one with the bright blonde hair sticking out in every direction like electrified Linguini. Oh, is that your real hair? I walk the dark, hear the danger, see the damned if I know. I call it my Kradar. My ability to detect and observe all things crazy. Right. Cradar. So, what are you gonna do? I became a phone jockey for 911, but I don't answer calls of broken bones and brush fires. 
I handle the 9-1, what's your freaking? Sir, this is important. I am becoming the invisible woman. The reason I can't eat vegetables anymore is because when I bite into one, I can hear it say, ouch. Like, ouch! He doesn't. He doesn't even have a face, but he can see me. He can see me! You ever get the feeling you ordered about 15 too many items off the value menu? You can find Ronstadt now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow so you can be one of the first to listen. We're so excited to introduce you to Great Jones. Great Jones makes high-quality, thoughtfully designed cookware that's so stunning, you won't want to put it away. From Dutch ovens to ceramic dishes to non-stick sheet pans, they've got you covered. Heck yeah, they do. Their products come in a variety of amazing colors, from classic black and white to pinks, greens, yellows, and blues, and the best part, Nicole... Everything's non-toxic. Josh, I've been in the market for a kettle for months. Yeah, I've heard you talk about it a weird amount. Yeah, I've bought like a bunch, returned a bunch, but I just got my hands on the Great Jones Fellow Kettle collab, and I got it in the color broccoli, and I'm so excited to make artisanal teas and coffees. I'm trying to get on my coffee game right now, and I'm Mm. so excited to use a gooseneck kettle. We have no idea. I'm excited to use their yellow hot dish, a.k.a. casserole dish. Shout out to Minnesota and Fargo, North Dakota. Uh, But I'm, I'm at that point in my life where I'm like, I'm an adult. I should have nice vessels to serve food out of instead of just serving it on like stainless steel restaurant style things. And I like it. It's cute. It's got a good design. Bakes really well. Holds heat. I'm in, baby. And once you try Great Jones, you'll want to share it with friends. They make stunning gifts that are actually useful. Weddings, housewarming parties, birthdays. It's the perfect gift for the foodie in your life. So upgrade your kitchen and replace those old rusted hand-me-downs with bold, beautiful, long-lasting pieces from Great Jones. Get started today at greatjones.com and get an extra 15% off your first order with promo code SANDWICH. That's greatjones.com, promo code SANDWICH. How do you feel about spag bowl? Because us two <laughs> love some spag bowl. No, Nicole always says it. You say it with the S- with the Essex accent, though. Spag bowl. <laughs> she, she watches a lot of British reality TV. And I don't watch a lot of British reality TV. I watch snippets of British reality TV. There's a big difference. It comes up on my Facebook feed, and I watch about 13 minutes of it, and I go about my day. It's quality television. It's not an indictment. Yeah, but how do you feel about spag bowl? Because I love it, um, just for the name alone. Look, it's almost our national dish spaghetti bolognese is what you're referring to and that is Mm -hmm. probably the most common dish found in australia a bit like in america how you have meatloaf or meatballs as as sort of one of the iconic dishes of Mm -hmm. america of course you imported it from somewhere and and we certainly imported spag bowl from italy and um it's a meat ragu sauce with spaghetti i mean what's not to love would you say there's any like stylistic differences between like a like a bolognese we'd get in america versus like the spag bowl in Australia. Like, are there, do you put like, is there like ham on it? Do you fry like a disc? Why do you keep talking about ham? I'm fascinated because ham is the perfect addition to a chicken parmesan. You get the, the all well, the benefits of the spag bowl. Who's chicken putting ham in spag bowl? In the, in the Philippines, there's diced up ham okay, in their fine. version of spag you bowl. You got me there. You got me there. You got me there. No, we have it. We, we make a pretty, in Bologna, um, where it originates from, they don't use tomato in the sauce. In fact, they use a little milk mm-hmm. in the sauce yes. and it's very rich and very dense. Um, in Australia, they put quite a lot of tomato in it. So it's sort of more of a Sicilian or a, um, a Campagna's kind of a, a version of, of that sauce. So um, yeah, it's, it's not authentic um, in its nature, but it's still really good. Okay. So you, you've used the term 
tomato sauce. I feel like I have to say tomato sauce because I tomato sauce in like why do I say tomato? Tomato sauce in Australia does not necessarily refer to strictly a sauce made from tomatoes, correct? Well, it is more of a ketchup. We use yeah, that's right. When we ask for ketchup, we actually ask for tomato sauce. So when you have a sausage roll or a pie, which is sort of a part of our national treasure, um, you would always have tomato sauce with it, which is ketchup. <laughs> but then what does pa- passata mean? Passata is a tomato sauce that you actually make from the beginning. Okay. Yeah, so that's that's not sweetened. Tomato sauce is not the tomato sauce. Passata is the tomato sauce. Correct, yes. Okay. I learned We're this learning. recently on my own travels through tomato <laughs> sauce purchasing because I saw a jar and I'm like, what's passata? And I'm like, oh my God, it's just legit, just like t- tomato sauce before you add all the fun stuff to it. I was <laughs> right. like, whoa, what a trip. Well, it's like a very pure, just like crushed tomatoes, yeah. which which to me, I think, I think a lot of, it's kind of like how in America we refer to everything, every tomato-based sauce that would go on pasta as marinara. marinara. Yeah. Which marinara, totally incorrect, right? That literally refers to a specific like Neapolitan style of cooking, like Mm -hmm. marinara literally meaning like of the sea. It was like a fisherman's wife dish. And so like we we do our own crap here that just doesn't seem, you know, we're so used to it. We're so used to having 19 kinds of marinara. And then an Italian person would go to an American grocery store and be like, none of that. (laughs) None of that is marinara. When I first came to America, I went to an Italian joint and I ordered the spaghetti marinara and it came out with tomato sauce on it. And I was like, no, no, I ordered the marinara because I was looking for the clams and the squid and all the delicious seafood that is normally in a marinara sauce where I come from. And they were like, that is a marinara. And I'm like- Okay, you know, whatever. (laughs) Did they run out of seafood? It took me quite a while to figure out that um, what you were talking about was what we would call a Napoli sauce or, you know, a a tomato Mm. sauce. Um, Yeah, so it's very confusing, isn't it? (laughs) Were there any other big, big like food culture shocks when you first came to the States? Also, when was the first time that you came to the States? I got here about 15 years ago and um, I came... Well, actually, I came. I came here totally by accident. If I'm being um, got really on the wrong plane, and <laughs> you know what, I I decided to have my thirtieth birthday in Las Vegas because I'd never been here. I lived in London. Half my mates were English, half of them were Aussies, and I figured Vegas was in the middle, and I could have a big party. So we'd sort of arranged it, but I hadn't booked the flights. And then someone rang me and asked me to do a show called uh, Take Home Chef, which I thought was the most ridiculous idea I'd ever heard. But I saw an opportunity. You know, maybe I can get a free flight for my birthday so um and and, you know these tv people they usually fire your business class i was like all in and uh i agreed to come and film this pilot and um that was in los angeles of course and then i just jumped on a little you know flight out of burbank for for 49 bucks to get to vegas for my big bash so i did that i got home and somebody called me and said you've you know you've got a They've picked up this show that you filmed this pilot for, which I hadn't really told many people about because I never thought that it would see the light of day. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, cool, that's fine. You know, I'll, I'll go and do it. Because I had, you know, my whole life was organized in London. I had a girlfriend and an apartment and a job. And then, you know, they, the person that I was talking to said, yeah, they've picked up 60 episodes. And I'm like, 60 episodes? <laughs> I can't do 60 episodes. That'd take a year. And they're like, yep. But you signed the contract <laughs> oh and you've got to go and do it. So, I um, yeah, I uh, I had to break the news to my landlord and girlfriend that I was leaving town and I've I've never gone home. So you know, it sort of happened as a bit of a, a bit of a shock. 
A good shock. Wow. Good surprise. What a great origin story. I, I love that half your, your career so far seems to be you kind of wanting to accept a free flight out of a place and then ending up with uh, iconic TV shows. Great mentality to have, honestly. Right. But that's the way you do it. <laughs> I'm going to start doing that. Just got to grasp opportunities when you see them. You know? All good things in life start at the Burbank Airport. Okay. I wouldn't say Guy that. Fieri, Guy Fieri has a restaurant there now. I... I'm saying Burbank Airport is on the come up. It's on the come up. <laughs> How how was that thirtieth birthday bash in Las Vegas? Because if there's one thing that I think we both know about Australian uh, food and drink culture, it's that the drink does play a big role in it. It sure does. Yeah, look, it was a lot of fun. Um, the bits that I can remember, it was. Uh, you know, <laughs> my parents were there, so we were we were well behaved to a certain extent. And um, you know, it's a, it's an interesting. I all, I still think this. You know, when people talk to me about America um, that haven't been here, I always think it's quite a strange introduction because people that come to America usually go to New York or Los Angeles mm-hmm. and Las Vegas and that's kind of it. You know, they see a bit of Disneyland, they they get to a theme park where everyone eats those giant turkey legs. So I think everybody leaves America kind of thinking, <laughs> oh my goodness, that's such a strange place because, you know, you don't really get a sense of what America's really like until you spend a bit more time here and you get mm-hmm. um, to really experience all the, you know, like it's it's might sound strange to say, but I, I think to, to really experience America, you've got to experience a bit of the Midwest. You've got to experience mm-hmm. a bit of the South. And you sure, see a big city. But, you know, to really understand the American culture, there's way more to it than, than Disneyland and Las Vegas, that's for sure. Thank God. Of course. I mean, would you say the same thing about Australia? Like, because I mean, most people, you know, we know who go to Australia, you know, they're going to Melbourne, they're yeah. going to Sydney. You know, uh, maybe uh, Bondi Beach seems to be a big, you know, kind of like their version of Venice Beach. But I mean, what would you say about, you know, where to actually like see the real Australia? Look, I think the same sort of thing. You should try and get out to a country. You know, if you want to enjoy your first ever chicken palmer, you've got to go to a country <laughs> pub and have it and drink a beer with the locals. And um, the outback is an extraordinary part of Australia that's, you know, really quite untouched still. And um, we have an incredible indigenous um, population of, of Aboriginal mm-hmm. people that just have so much to offer and, and you know, have sort of shaped what Australia is and um, you know there's there's so much to experience outside of the cities but yeah we've got beautiful beaches and you should probably see those too so it's a big it's a big country so it's a hard one to, to manage in a week you know you got to break off a bit more time to go there I think so I'm going to take about 15 days off for my honeymoon <laughs> to go to Australia. Put it so in the system. <laughs> I, ac- I accept all days Thanks, day boss. off requests. I don't Thank even you, check. Thank you, boss man. <laughs> I mean, speaking nice of- job, Nickers. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> do me. Do my nickname. Do my nickname. Oh, I need a bit longer to think about. Yours is a bit trickier. It is. I mean, Joshua just doesn't seem- uh, I like Joshua. I call you Joshua, Joshua. sometimes. Sherry. Yeah, Joshy. Josh. We can get <laughs> Joshy. Just sounds diminutive. That's uh, I'm offended <laughs> I'm sorry, by Joshy. But I like it. You call me Joshy occasionally. I... Only Nicole gets to call me. What's Josh. your last name, Josh? Scherer. It means uh, sheep farmer in German. Does it really? Yeah. I thought it meant, Interesting sh- I thought fact. It meant sheep shearer. It, well, yeah, not sheep farmer. I was just the one giving the sheeps the haircut. So it's literally like to shear a sheep, a shearer. Just call him yeah. sheep. We sheep didn't own man. the farms. We just cut the hairs of the sheep. Have you ever sh- have you ever shorn a sheep? No. I, I have, really want to. I would love to do that. It's not easy. That'd be a fun like activity. 
Yeah, that's when when you and I accept a free plane trip to Wellington, New Zealand or wherever. Yeah. And we get offered 60 episodes to shear sheep on like, (laughs) I mean, it'll be it'll be like an extreme, you know, uh, makeover challenge thing, except it'll only be for sheep. And inexplicably, it's hosted by you and I. Okay, great. And we can like uh, dye their fur different colors. Yeah. Oh, my God. Of course. Make them look like Lady Gaga. I mean, Curtis, Curtis, you got the hookup at at, at tons of networks. I mean, we we need a partner to pitch this with. And so far, you're you're the leading man. I got you. I got you. Let me let me make some calls. Uh, I have a question for you. Yeah. Why are shoeies? Why are shoeies something that exists? Shoeies? What's a shoeie? You don't know what a shoeie is? You've never is? done a shoeie? No. What oh, okay. <laughs> this, so, this might be a harmful Australian stereotype okay, that we have. I'll let you let not. you know. So I went on a Kentucky tour maybe when I was like 24, okay? okay? And I had a bunch of Australian people on the trip with me, and they looked at me and they said, Nicole, by the end of this trip, you're going to do a shoeie. And I said, Okay, I don't know what that is. And because I'm annoying and very curious, I Wikipedia'd it. And it's basically where you pour a beer in a shoe and they make you drink it. Mm-hmm. So Oof. this is something that I, if you've never heard, then I don't know what the people on my Kentucky tour were saying. Maybe they were just trolling me. <laughs> they might have been from Queensland. Oh, I don't know. Queensland is a bit like our Florida. So you just never know what's going to happen. <laughs> you know, it's, it's an amazing place, but they have some strange traditions up there like drinking their beer out of a shoe. Yeah, okay. So I was hazed by people from Queensland is what you're that trying makes to sense. tell me. <laughs> I, I had a good friend from Queensland, from uh, from Brisbane, and uh, this all seems to add up to, uh, to, <laughs> to what y'all are talking about. Okay, wait, wait. There, there seems to be a lot of beer slang, uh, and this is something I heard, which something that I'm actually fascinated by is beer is more like codified in Australia legally based on like how strong it is mm. and what sizes you serve it in. Does that does that ring a bell? Does that make any sense? It does, yeah. it's um, Well, we have quite strict drink driving laws back there in Australia. Mm -hmm. You know, I think in America you can be 0.08 and in Australia Mm -hmm. you can be 0.05, which is like one or two drinks. So, you know, if you're going to drink a full strength beer, um, it's, it's a, you know, it's a dangerous game to play if you, if you're going to drive your car. So they have what we call light beer or now mid strength beer. They have those too. And a light beer actually means that it's much lower octane in terms of, you know, a, a normal beer would be point, would be 4.6% alcohol and a light mm-hmm. beer might be 0.5% alcohol. So you can, oh, wow. you can drink half a dozen of those and still drive your car because it's hardly got Whoa. an alcoholic effect. But here you call a light beer, it's the same strength, which I learned, <laughs> I learned that lesson the hard way. But uh, yep. yeah, you're like, I'll have a couple more of those light beers. And, and before you know it, you're like, this doesn't feel that light to me. Because um, I think the beer here doesn't really change in its its alcohol level, right? Uh, so there's the laws are state by state, mm-hmm. which is uh. absolutely crazy. I And I think this is a huge problem. I remember taking all these alcohol education classes in, in college. I went to a, you did? a big party school. Yeah, you see Santa Barbara, so many kids died every year. This is about to take a weird turn. But like, no, it was a huge party school that was on the beach by a bunch of cliffs. And so kids would drink and they would fall off the cliffs into the beach and they would die. So we had really strict alcohol education classes. But I remember getting a card that said um, how many beers you can have before you reach 0.08. And they were like, this is when you can still drive. Go ahead. Uh, Is it three? Well, it depends on your on your body composition. So oh, I was a, a 270-pound athlete uh-huh. at the time, and they were like, yeah, you can have eight beers in two hours and still drive a car. And I was like, That's no, crazy. sir, I cannot. That is bananas. That is bananas. Um, why would you tell me that? That's crazy. That's all? wild. Yeah. Yeah, and so light beer is typically about 4% in America. However, it depends on the state. So the breweries have to reformulate their beers. So like Utah, I think they can't sell anything over like 3.5%. Interesting. Okay. There's that whole 
scene in the movie SLC Punk where they have to drive oh, yeah. across the border <laughs> That's a funny to movie. get different. So yeah, everything's state by state and it's like really not codified and our drunk driving laws are so strange and lax that I think like codifying it in Australia is super important and like makes so much more sense, especially when you get things like Four Loco. Oh yeah, I don't want to talk about Four Loco on this <laughs> podcast. I have a little decorum. Don't talk about Four Loco. <laughs> okay, okay. What What is a slab of beer? A slab of beer is a case of beer that has 24 stubbies in it. So a stubby is a 12 ounce can. A stubby is actually a bottle. It's like oh, a sh- uh-huh. like a short shorter bottle. You know, it's I'm not- thinking of like a red stripe. Well, a long neck wow, is a 750 it. milliliter bottle, and a stubby is 375 milliliters. Yeah, red a red stripe so that we would consider that a stubby. Wait, uh, but a long neck is you said it's it's twice that how- size. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so 500 milliliters? I'm trying to do the metric conversion. 500 Don't milliliters. Don't ask me anything about numbers. It's just over a pint. It's about like 17 ounces. Okay, and so then. A long neck would be like 20, about Ooh. 30, almost a liter. Yeah. A liter? No, I don't know. I don't know. Three, no, 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 no. Three, three quarters of a liter. Milliliter. Three quarters of a liter. <laughs> the, 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 math, the math is hard. Okay, okay. Um, what is a tinny? A tinny is a can. <laughs> okay. How many milliliters is a tinny? 375. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So it's a stubby but in a can. Correct, yeah. Okay, okay. What about, a, is a coldie just a cold beer? A coldie is a cold beer, yep. Same as a frothy. And what's a roadie? A roadie... A roadie is a frothy or a tinny or a stubby that you would take on the road. Okay. Is that legal? Open container. Nowadays, you are not allowed to drink while driving, but you used to be able to, as a passenger, have a a roadie in the car. Now, I don't know whether they've changed that law or not, but when I was a kid, you you sure were. When you were a kid, you were just you were slamming coldies and frothies. Well, uh, no, I wasn't. Back. I just remember. I, re- <laughs> no, I remember no. the, the adults in my life leaving a, a nice party cola, and ta- a taking nice a cola. Roadie. Young Curtis was having a cola. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, we 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 had some other some other slang to get through. What are bum nuts? I have no idea what a bum nut. What is. What is a bum nut? This seems to sounds be like a, sounds like a like a mean thing to call someone. What are the ducks nuts? If I say the bum nuts or the ducks nuts, the ducks what nuts am I are saying? great. I mean, if someone says to you, "Oh, that's the ducks nuts," that that means that's pretty special. That's pretty amazing. Oh, like you are the ducks nuts. Yeah, yeah. From what I've read, bum nuts apparently, allegedly, means eggs, but that could not be confirmed by many in-person sources. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was I'm not trying sure. to figure out the etymology of bum nuts. They sound dangerous. And where they could come from? <laughs> Do people actually? Eat shrimp on the Barbie. Was my opener correct when I said they were called prawns? We call them prawns. And we do cook prawns on the Barbie. Um, and, of course, to us, a Barbie or a barbecue is um, a grill. It's not actually – it's a hot, intense heat that we cook quickly over. So you would definitely cook prawns on a Barbie. Um, but uh, it's not super common, but more and more common. Yeah, we do. We cook, we cook prawns on the Barbie for sure. But no one would ever call them a shrimp. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid knickers. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why I said that. Well, I, I think in America we don't even know what the term barbecue means. Why? What makes you say that? Because we don't. Because we will. We will have a barbecue. Right? Hey, come over to the barbecue where I could just be grilling up hot dogs on a propane grill. Well, it's the adjective. Barbecue what do you mean? is the adjective. Your barbecue. But what means- is it? But what does it mean? Like, like if you have like hot barbecue heat sauce grill. Hot heat grill. But then you go out to eat barbecue. If that was cooked on a hot heat grill, you'd no, be pissed off. No, Everybody knows when you're barbecuing at home, you know what that means. But what if you're making actual slow, low and well, slow barbecue at home? Well, doing that needs my number because I'm going to go there. But no, everybody <laughs> knows what that means. Who invented avocado toast? <laughs> and why was it California? 
Well, I'm, I remember having avocado toast when I was just starting to like drive a car and, and go out and visit mates. And I, I'm 44 now and – or am I 45? I'm 45. I beg your pardon. I just tried to steal a year back. <laughs> uh, I'm 45. And, you know, when I was 17 or 18, it was it was definitely something – it was definitely a thing. So I don't know. I can't say when it started in California. I always sort of felt like it probably kicked off first in Oz. But, you know, like we can both invent something together. That's okay. Well, you already have fairy toast. <laughs> it's fairy bread. Um, <laughs> fairy bread, <and> f- sorry. <laughs> fairy toast. That could be something um, for the for the current day. We could do that. Why not? Uh, f- fairy bread is actually horrible. It's, it's white <laughs> bread that's mm-hmm. been buttered and then has – we call them hundreds and thousands. I think you call them Johnnies. Uh, no, you're thinking of Jimmy's, Jimmy's, but, Jimmy's, but that's an East Coast thing. We just call them sprinkles. Sprinkles, sprinkles right. So it's got sprinkles and then sandwiched, <laughs> and then you cut it into triangles, and we give it to kids. I mean, it's mm-hmm. child abuse. I can't imagine <laughs> why <laughs> that's ever it. been a thing. It's not I've cool. had it before, and I didn't like it either. I don't understand the it appeal. It tastes very plasticine. It's very, it's a very, it's just fake on fake on fake. Well, yeah. I, you know I, mean? I grew up spreading like canned frosting on white bread and just eating it for snacks because I was left alone in the home. Problem, honey. <laughs> one of my one of my wife's favorites is you know you could get invited to a barbecue, but you could also get invited to a sausage sizzle, and a sausage <laughs> sizzle is Fun. hey now okay. So you, you forget about what you're thinking of. This is actually <laughs> a sausage off the grill. On a piece of white bread that's been buttered, and then you put ketchup or tomato sauce um, on top. And I gotta tell you, it's really good. It's the opposite of fairy that bread. That sounds good. <laughs> that sounds delicious. What is what is like the one underrated Australian dish that you want to pitch to Americans? Like, imagine you are the head of Australian travel and tourism, which you might be. You're the de facto head of Australian <laughs> travel and tourism, as far as I'm concerned. What's the one dish that you'd sell to Americans? Well, it's a meat pie. You know, we have that mm. as our staple. We, and in that family is a thing called a sausage roll, which is basically ground pork that's been spiced and seasoned. And then you put it in puff pastry, roll it, and and bake it in the oh. oven. And they're both so good. And, it, like, that's our hot dog, you know, that sausage roll or meat pie. I actually just opened a pie shop in um, Beverly Hills while Maud was closed, our little restaurant, mm-hmm. over the pandemic. And watching people come in and try these pies for the first time and uh, and seeing them come back, like, they'd buy them and take them home. They'd come back in the next day and be like, oh, my God. that <laughs> You know, and it's like, of course, we stole that from the British because they've been making pies for centuries, but we've sort of put our own little twist on it and it's it's um it really is something to behold it's delicious man i've been seeing those pies pop up on instagram they look fantastic nicole and i actually the whole reason we invited you here is because we we wanted the hookup for some pies because i know (laughs) i know they've been selling out i know the orders are big curtis we need the pie hookup okay you got it anytime you want a pie you just text me and i'll i'll have them ready for you (laughs) this is a legally binding contract maggie we got this recorded it is we're we're rolling (laughs) we're holding you to that Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. 
For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's Lifetime Membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. All right, Nicole and Curtis, we've heard what you and I have to say. Now it's time to find out what other wacky ideas are rattling out there in the Twitterverse. It's time for a segment we call Opinions Are Are Like Casseroles. That was really good. That was the best one we've done. haven't been like pitchy. What do you mean? I'm flat now. I've had laryngitis for three weeks. I wasn't prepared for American (laughs) Idol. Okay, okay. First up, we got at Rush Over Me. Habanero pepper powder in a mimosa makes it a mean mosa, and it's pretty great. Curtis, how do you feel about habanero mimosas? You know what? That sounds kind of... I don't know if the raw habanero powder would be too aggressive, but I kind of like the idea of mimosa having a bit of a kick to it. I don't I mind it. I think it sounds sexy. Yeah. I think this is a very sexy cocktail. It takes a mimosa up another notch, and I would love to do this, but I don't want to uh, touch my eye out. Oh, yeah. Nicole had an unfortunate <laughs> incident with habaneros uh, a couple weeks ago. Oh, it was bad. Yeah. But uh, I'm okay now. Look. It got under the contact. got <laughs> under the contact, but now she's fine. I'm fine now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I question the use of because a habanero powder, I think a lot of people in cooking, they will crap all over garlic powder and say fresh garlic's all is better, mm. uh, but it's like, it's just different, right? They give you different taste sensations. Yes. Uh, ditto with like fresh mint versus dried mint. They're wildly, wildly different. Something like dried habanero powder, to me, takes away a lot of that like fresh, beautiful brightness that habaneros have. Mm-hmm. So putting like like steeping orange juice and fresh habanero, then hitting that in the mimosa, that's my mean mosa that I want. I like it. Or, or you could cut the um, habanero in half and just rub it around the rim of the glass so you just oh. get that little tingle. Yeah. Get the little tingle. Mean Mosa. I like it. Great An- name. Angry Mosa. I this, like is gonna, it. this is going to show up at, on Gwen's brunch patio <laughs> over the next day. Uh, <laughs> we want royalties. Juan DM06 says Oreos soaked in black tea tastes amazing. Well, Juan, I'm not sure about that because I don't like Oreos to begin. But maybe the whoa, tea. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Just, Why is that? I don't know. I mean, I, I didn't grow up with them. So the first mm-hmm. one I had, I was like. For real? This is the cookie that you say that you like? You know, like... You <laughs> it's milk's America's favorite, favorite cookie. cookie. Milk's favorite cookie. Oh. But America has lovely cookies. They're, they're, not, they're not one of them. What, what is your problem with Oreos? Like, specifically? Like, get down to the nitty-gritty. I think that the, there's too much cocoa powder in them for me. They're too, mm. they're too, okay. they're too dark. Too, Bitter? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like it, it goes beyond chocolate. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, it's just a cocoa it's cookie. It's like a black hole. It's a sab- sable. So, yeah, I mean, they use like it's yeah. what is it called? it's called black cocoa, right? The yeah, stuff they it is. use because mm-hmm. we we tried to recreate Oreos from scratch, and you can't get there using any normal amount of chocolate or cocoa powder. You need the black. You cocoa. need the black cocoa. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's like a black hole. I love Oreos because I grew up eating them. Those are the things that like if I have a glass of whole milk, uh, ice cold whole milk. And Oreos, uh, I will keep eating them until the package is gone. The way that water fills the shape of its container, I drain <laughs> the shape of Oreo containers wow. no matter how many are in there. You know what was Whoa. that cookie for me? You ever had the Hello Panda chocolate filled yes. candies? Yeah, that yeah. was like my Oreo cookie. That makes I don't sense. know why. Well, that was my- Curtis, there's like a big uh, uh, a Bicky culture, I believe would be the term <laughs> uh, in Australia, right? Like Bicky what are your favorites? Culture. Well, we call cookies Bickies or biscuits. Um, and we have a thing called a Tim Tam. Yes, which is, I just pulled mm, it up on the Google. You know, the Google <laughs> is pointing you in the right direction because they are delicious. And we'll actually bite the end of the Tim Tam off 
both ends, and then you'll drink your tea through it. Yes, oh. I have heard of this before. Oh, 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 We're oh, buying Tim ticket. Tams, Josh. We're yeah. buying Tim Tams. We have to. Forget about the uh, shoey. Do the Tim Tam tea suck. <laughs> Oreos. I feel like Oreos <laughs> would kill. Tea Wait, suck. is that a real term? The Tim Tam tea suck? No, no, I just made that up. It is now. It God, is that's now. good. <laughs> Again, as the head of, of Australian tourism, uh, Tim Tam tea suck is now the full Australian tourism slogan. Great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, at Harry's underscore Jabrini. Thickening oats with protein powder needs to be a thing. Huh. Um, okay. I've I've never tried that, so I don't know. Do you know what? I don't I don't even know what kind of protein powder, like a, a pea pea protein powder, is mm. it? Well it depends. So I, I call this brote meal. It's oatmeal for bros. Um and I have made a lot of brote meal and cooking with whey protein powder is deceptively difficult because you almost need to temper it like a custard huh. because the protein in whey will actually kind of scramble mm. if you, because that's <laughs> interesting. I would have never thought that it's protein in heat, right? So it yeah. seizes when you're mixing with other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I will occasionally put a scoop of protein powder in my coffee in the morning, but you have to literally temper the protein powder with cold water oh. before adding your hot coffee and then reheating that back up. Interesting. So similar with brote meal, you have to let it come to room temp or else it'll scramble the proteins. But this isn't like <laughs> such, this isn't a unique thing. I think I've seen this like before I knew you, like this is a thing that people have done a lot. They put oh, a I'm not saying of, I invented it. Yeah, yeah. People like put a scoop of protein powder in their oats a lot. Mm. It seems like a uniquely American thing is to is be obsessed it? with protein consumption. Oh, well, not surprised. But I don't know. <laughs> okay. Next up, Jane Abbott. Three, six, nine says a grilled peanut butter sandwich is much better with tomato soup than grilled cheese. Huh. That's interesting. I mean, it sounds horrible, but when you stop and think about it, peanuts can be used in all sorts of cuisines. You know, like Mm -hmm. Thai curries have peanuts Mm -hmm. roasted and crushed over the top of them. And um, you can also put them in a chocolate bar. So, like, peanuts are really quite versatile, big fat content, and it might be quite delicious with a tomato soup. That, That might make sense. It I, reminds me I, of the tomato peanut soup that your aunt makes. Oh, the the West African dish mafe. Yeah, this yeah, takes yeah. me to mafe town. <laughs> yeah, there's there's uh, one of my favorite dishes in the world. Uh, my aunt Hawa is from Senegal, and she she makes this. Uh, she we grew up just knowing it as peanut sauce. I believe it's called mafe across a lot of West African countries, mm-hmm. and it's a lot of aromatics, uh, tomato paste, typically made with beef, onions, um, all that stuff, and then uh, a ton of peanut butter, and then their version of like. It's called like Maggie sauce, Mm -hmm. Mm. which is, you know, like the kind of browning sauce in there. And it's just this savory, you know, tomato, meat, peanut butter dish. And I mean, you're kind of getting halfway there with this peanut butter sandwich dipped in tomato soup. But is is grilled cheese and tomato soup a phenomenon in Australia or is that uniquely American? I think that's uniquely American. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) God bless the Campbell's Corporation. All right. At Chris Nicole 29. Here we go. Love this one. Microwaving ice cream is necessary to obtain perfect consistency, but not so that it's soupy. Huh. Um, okay. Yeah. Look, I, I would just leave it out of the freezer for a couple of minutes before. Who you... has that kind of time, Curtis? Who has that kind of time? Not if, me. Not this lady. If you're too... I like to microwave it. Do you? Yeah. Well, it does soften I... it up and it does, you know, ice cream is very important to get the texture right. So freshly mm. churned ice cream is always it's when it's at its absolute best, you know. Because, of course. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that makes sense. I get in fights with my girlfriend. This is what I use this podcast for. It's to air out my dirty laundry <laughs> with my beautiful girlfriend, Julia, who I live with. Um, but she prefers her ice cream super, super hard, which to me is like, it's flat out wrong to Ouch. eat it at that. That like right? hurts my like teeth back here. 
But then I put it in the microwave to soften it up, and she insists that it doesn't freeze right when you put it back in, which I think is probably true. If it melts and then I'm constantly melting and then unmelting and then freezing. So what I do is I just give her first go at the pint and then let her enjoy for 10 minutes, and then I swoop in and I eat her leftovers while it's soft. You are a man that understands compromise. That's called compromise. Okay. Well done. (laughs) Allison Nicole Francis says, IHOP tastes better between the hours of 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. Proven fact. Curtis, are you a fan of the IHOP? (laughs) I can't say I've eaten there, and I'm trying to figure out why it tastes better. I mean, the only logical reason to me is because you've drunk too many stubbies, and then you go into the IHOP at those times, (laughs) and everything tastes better after a couple of drinks. Too many is a relative term. (laughs) But it's like it's like you know how Taco Bell tastes better like after like midnight. Yeah, when the, you can't eat Taco Bell in the light of day. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, you gotta can, wait till the sun goes down. But why would you? You exactly. know, it's like it's like McDonald's. You have to have it in the morning. You can't have it in the <laughs> afternoon. Why would you do that to yourself? You know what I mean? I understand. There are certain times where you eat things and they taste better. The cover of night shields your shame. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Yeah. Um, I, I enjoyed my birthday for four straight years at the IHOP. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is after I'd already gotten into food and I had, you know, oh, kind of developed nice. some sort of a, a palate, I suppose. But what I love about IHOP is they provide a very unique mix of foods where you can get jalapeno poppers, chicken strips, New York cheesecake, pancakes, uh, and a chicken fried steak, all with an expired Corona light. <laughs> Um, and <laughs> they I, have beer at IHOP? Yeah, at the one in Santa Barbara, they did oh, have nice. beer. They did have Shocker. beer. And I respect that very much. Well, you know, guys, we, I just did this show, Crime Scene Kitchen, where Yolanda and I would eat literally six pieces of cake or six desserts in a row. And we would often talk about, like, is it fair, you know, whoever comes up first when you're really hungry and that first bite of cake Mm -hmm. tastes amazing as opposed to the last bite. And I do think you need to have a certain level of professionalism where you're still, you know, taking all of those factors out of it. So I think it's got more to do with hunger. You know, if if she's saying that IHOP tastes better in the middle of the night, I really do think it's got more to do with hunger because I would think the opposite were true in terms of, well, here's the thing. If they're not busy during those hours, maybe the cooks in the back have got just a little bit more time to put their love and attention to detail on every last dollop of whipped cream. I disagree with that assertion. I think you <laughs> hold on, hold on. No, no, no. Here's like you need to go to a high volume IHOP because I think the less time you have, the faster they're cooking with intuition. Maybe and that's right. what I want. So you think it's better to cook with intuition than it is to cook with time uh, and attention? Time and attention. Yeah, yeah. For short order, for slinging eggs and hash. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. gotta be, you gotta be going fast. I don't trust, I don't trust low volume restaurants for that reason. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, we got the last one, Josh. Take it away. <laughs> I love this. This is at a lip. Replace all water with pho broth, and life would be at its peak. With what? Pho. Oh, uh, the Vietnamese okay. noodle soup. Can I just tell you a little story? There was a there was a um, noodle shop in Beverly Hills, and it was called Beverly Hills nine hundred two one PHO. I used to live in Beverly Hills, so I know exactly. And I used to work in Beverly Hills, and I know exactly what you're talking about. Been Continue. There many times. <laughs> Every time I drive past it, I want to walk in and say it's not pronounced pho; it's pronounced pho. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I just, they named the I don't physically know how to pronounce the restaurant. Nine, is it 9021 Pho or 9021 Pho? I used to say 9021 Pho. Yeah? I guess you got it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, look, I agree. Pho is one of my favorite things in the world to eat. It's so delicious. And I don't know if I'd replace water with it because- Me either. You know, that's that's an extreme, um, <laughs> it's an extreme way to go, but it really is delicious. I mean- 
I don't know if I'm going to replace all water with it, but putting a bunch of ice in a big gulp cup with a straw and then putting pho broth in that and just trying it out throughout a day. Let's try Just it. trying it out. Just sip sip on a half gallon of that throughout the day. And to me, that seems like a good way to start. No. Why? No, I don't Why? want it cold. I don't, Why are you shutting I me would, down on I this? I would just enjoy it in a nice, warm 16-ounce koozie. That was called <laughs> koozie, right? I think so. Yeah. You'd take a roadie of pho. Uh, yeah. Yep. That's right. the way to do it. Also, Curtis, man, tell, tell us about Crime Scene Kitchen. I meant to bring it up naturally throughout the podcast, and I didn't, but I am really excited to see the show because it is, I mean, honestly, it's a, it's a heck of a concept. It's so much fun. And you got a YouTuber in it as well, right? We sure do. Well, Yolanda is, um, she's so talented, and she's got millions of YouTube are they followers, friends, subscribers? I don't know. We call them friends. Subscribers. We call um, them family here. That's right. They're friends and and they're all of that. Uh, but she's incredible. <laughs> she's a, an amazing cake decorator. But the, the concept of the show is the um, the contestants don't know what they have to bake, right? So we have these, these mm-hmm. bakers and they walk into what we call the crime scene kitchen and they have to try and figure out exactly what happened in there. So there's clues, culinary clues that lead them down a path. So then they run back to their kitchens, they work in teams of two, and they all start baking. Sometimes they all bake the same thing. Sometimes they go off in totally different um, tangents. And then, of course, we um, show them what what they were supposed to make, and there's jubilation and distress all at the same time. And then, of course, Yolanda and I taste everyone's dessert and tell them what they did right and what they did wrong. And uh, and somebody goes home each week, and then at the end of it all, there's a, there's a team of victorious bakers that make make themselves a cool hundred grand. Dope. Really fun. Are you done with casting or can Nicole and I throw our hats in there? Well, listen, if it goes well tonight, there'll be a season two real soon. So uh, go ahead and uh, and submit. We'd love to have you. We are, we're, Curtis, we're just going to exploit this relationship because we already got you on the record saying that we're cast members on season two and you're gonna, at least going to give us a coupon for two free meat pies. No, no, I They're never, I never said they were free. Yeah, I'm talking that. about. See, you're Give me like thirty percent. You're overextending yourself. You can't do that to guests. You got to you know ease into it a little bit. Say thirty percent off. I tell you Gentle. what. You take me to IHOP and get me an Oreo soaked in tea, and I'll give you a free <laughs> pie. Sold. <laughs> and on that note, thank you so much for listening to a Hot Dog is a Sandwich, and thank you so much, Curtis, for being an amazing guest. Uh, Curtis, other than other than Crime Seat Kitchen, you got anything else going on you want to plug? Oh, God, I'm, I've got a million things going on. You know, we're reopening Gwen, which we're very excited about, and Maud's going to turn back into a restaurant at some point, you know, once we get back to full occupancy in restaurants. So um, so that's keeping me busy. But, yeah, no, it's uh, it's all fun. All, all, all gravy, as we say in Australia. Tying it back into the Aussie <laughs> slang. All right, and if you want to hear more from us here in the Mythical Kitchen, we got new episodes for you every Wednesday. If you want to be featured on Opinions or Like Casseroles, you can hit us up on Twitter at Mythical Chef or Zada with the hashtag Opinion Casserole. And of course, if you want to share pictures of your dishes, hit us up on Instagram at Mythical Kitchen. We will all see you next time. Thanks again, Curtis. Bye, Curtis. Thanks again. Thanks for having me, guys. That was fun. 